0: I have to say that I don't think there is anyone who has loved this church more than Iva Speaks. you agree? Those of you that knew Iva, some of you people are new, and maybe you're just like, who's that? I'll, we'll explain more later, but when I say Iva loved this church, I mean Iva loved you. She loved you guys, and you knew that because you probably got encouraging little cards and letters from her, and got a little birthday card. She was our birthday card lady, and, and she uh, she just took good care of us. She blessed us. She encouraged us. She did a lot of wonderful things. Every now and then, you you know, you come into church, and Iva would welcome you, and she had this wonderful, gentle, loving welcome, and every now and then, uh, Iva would express concern about things, and, and it was very, very genuine concern, and and as, as your preacher, and as Iva's preacher, I knew her gentle encouragement. Uh, as a preacher and I also knew her very pointed suggestions every now and then about how we ought to do things and, and you know and I always took those very carefully in because I knew that they came from her heart. Sometimes they weren't all that subtle but you know a lot of times they were. And so I remember a few years ago when Iva and I were talking and I was trying to find what, you know, where am I going to go next with sermons? What am I going to preach on? And Iva said Have you ever thought about preaching Romans? And I responded, and I quote, I will never preach a series on Romans. Romans is hard. It's tough stuff. And Romans is like one long 16-chapter manifesto of the Christian faith. You can't just divide Romans up into little bite-sized chunks and turn them into sermons. Romans covers everything. And stuff that starts in Romans 5 gets built on until finally in Romans chapter 12, Paul does something new with it. Stuff that he starts in chapter 9 about the Jewish people, he carries on all the way through. There's all these big, broad, sweeping ideas in Romans. And I said, I can't possibly break it down into sermons that are easy enough for us to understand too much work. And maybe a year or so later, Iva came to me and she said, so when are you starting Romans? So today I'm starting Romans and uh, this is a very important book. and It is deep. I'm not gonna lie to you, it is deep. And it is a, it is a long book and it will stretch your brain, stretch your heart, and I know you guys and more importantly I know me. We need things dumbed down a little bit for us, right? Right there, little buddy. <laughs> we got to have things kind of dumbed down for us and we got to make things as simple as possible. So over the next starting next week, we're going to have 16 little lessons from Romans. And today I want to give you an overview of what this letter is all about. I want to kind of sum it all up for you. And we're going to start with Romans chapter 5 verse 1. And we're just going to keep right there today in Romans 5.1. If you're using those handy Bibles in your pews, it is page 942. If you're using your own Bible, your mileage may vary. Romans 5.1 very simple little verse, simply says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Simple enough right there. This one verse distills down not only the book of Romans, but the heart of the Christian life. In this one verse, we understand exactly what God has done for us. It is the heart of the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to break it down for you into three little words that happen here in Romans. Three words that we're going to cover today. And those three words are justified, faith, and peace. We're going to try to wrap our brains around those three words. And it all begins with that first word, justified. Justified, that is what we need. Justified is one of those words, and I've explained this in sermons before, justified is one of those words that we use in church differently than we use in the rest of the world and in every other conversation we ever have. In the world, if I tried to justify myself, I'm going to tell you why the wrong things I did really weren't wrong. I'm going to justify my actions. I'm going to justify my attitudes. Really, I'm I'm going to try to justify my sin if I'm being completely honest. What the Bible teaches us is we can't justify ourselves. We can't fix our lives, but God can. And praise God that he can do that for us. So what does it mean? What does justified mean? We, We come up with these little sayings, these cute little sayings like justified means Just as if I'd never sinned. That's a nice one, right? You can write that one down. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. That's a nice little starter definition, but it doesn't cover it all. What does justified really mean? About two years ago, I parked my Jeep in a place where I should not have parked And when I parked it there, I thought to myself, you should not park your Jeep here. Someone will back into it. But I was in a hurry, I left it there. The next morning I went to move it and my back bumper had been crunched. And it was broken, it was busted up, it looked ugly. And there were pieces of someone else's tail light laying there and it was awful. And I said, yep, I knew this was gonna happen. Thankfully the person who backed into it owned up to it and they contacted me and they said, hey, we will pay you to have it fixed and get an estimate and let us know how much it is. So I went over to Porter's and I said, what's it gonna cost to fix this? And they gave me a dollar amount. These people gave me the money and I went and actually got it fixed. Porter's told me that they were gonna have it fixed, good as new. And when I came back to pick up the Jeep, there was a brand new bumper. You could not tell that I'd been in a little accident at all. What if, what if I had given Porter's all that money, you know, hundreds of dollars. And when I came back, they said, we got it fixed. It's as good as new. And I showed up, and there was my back bumper covered in duct tape. What would think I'd been happy about that? $400 worth of duct tape? Yeah, $400 worth of duct tape. Right there on your back bumper. Yeah, we threw in a couple zip ties, just in case, you know? You seen people driving around like that? You... There was a guy that was in front of me one day, and I know you're not supposed to do this, but I'm, I've got my phone, and I'm trying to take a picture of his bumper because it's like nothing but zip ties all the way across. Like, oh, this is amazing. i got to get a picture of this. But if I'd come back and found my bumper covered in duct tape and zip tied, that would not have been fixed. That would not have been justified. Justified means that you are in a condition that you were before the accident. And what the guys at Porter's told me was our goal, our mission is to fix your vehicle, to get your vehicle back in the exact condition it was before your accident. If that means replacing your bumper, we do that. If that means replacing glass, if that means realigning things, straightening the frame, whatever it takes, we do it to get your vehicle in the condition it was before the accident. That's what justified means. Not just your your spiritual condition, not just that you are uh, It means that in your spiritual condition, you are just like you were before you sinned. And it's not just that you're forgiven, although that's a big part of it. It's not just that you get to go to heaven, although that's important too, but that your life is not only repaired, your life is now whole. Now, you can't do that for yourself. You can't do that kind of work on your soul. You may be able to curb some habit of sin. You may be able to say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. And you know what? You may not ever do it again. You may curb that sin habit. You may stop cussing, you know? Whatever it is, you may, you may stop doing those things. You may even be able to get over the guilt of what you've done in your past. But you cannot justify yourself. You cannot repair the damage that you have done to your own heart and your own soul, and you cannot repair the damage that you've done to other people. Now You think about the way that our sin hurts us, but you have to also realize that our sin doesn't just hurt us. Our sin hurts other people, too. You can't unbreak someone's heart. I'm sorry, I don't care what song you listen to. You cannot unbreak someone's heart. You cannot repair that damage, and there are lives that people's sins have, have made miserable. We have ruined people's lives with our sin. You cannot unbreak someone's heart, but God can justify you. God can make you whole. Isaiah tells us that Jesus bore our transgressions and heals our deceives. You know, that's another scripture we're going to look at eventually in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. If you sin, you pay for it with death. And the reason we have sickness in this world, the reason we have disease in this world is because sin entered into this world through our ancestors. Thanks a lot. We would have done it ourselves if we had been around, but we can blame them since they're not here right now. Sin entered into this world, and the result of that sin is disease. The result of that sin is that we die, that, that our bodies decay and horrible things happen to us. The wages of sin is death. but The gift of God is eternal life, meaning that disease no longer has its permanent effect on your life. It no longer has that permanent effect on your soul to where it separates you from God for all eternity. That's been taken away. You've been healed of that. You have been justified. Instead, you can be whole, just as if you'd never sinned, just as if it had never hurt. And over the next few months... We're going to come to grips with that, to that, in some new ways. And over the next few months, I think you're going to see healing in your lives. And I think you're going to see wholeness in your lives. Justified. That is what we need. The second key, the second key is understanding how we are justified. And Romans 5.1 tells us that we are justified by faith. Faith, that is what we have to rely on. We are justified by faith. Very long time ago, the year was 386 A.D. That was a long time ago. 386 A.D., and a guy about 36, 37 years old is laying face down in the garden behind his home, and he is weeping because he knows that he is a sinner. And he has tried and tried to overcome his sin. And I gotta tell you, this guy, he really liked sin. <laughs> he really, really enjoyed sin. That one day in 386, he's laying behind, laying the guard behind his home, and he's crying, he's weeping, he's bawling his eyes out, he's shaking, and he is very aware of his sin, and very aware of his failure to live up to the call of Christ. He knew he was lost, he knew he was broken, and he was ashamed. He was finally ashamed of those things. And he saw no way out. And he grabbed his copy of Romans. They had those back then. He grabbed his copy of Romans, and he turned to chapter 13, and he read, let us not behave indecently, and let's not behave in those deeds of the darkness But instead, let us clothe ourselves with Christ. Let's put on Christ Jesus as Lord. And Augustine became a changed man through what he read in the book of Romans that day. And he became one of the greatest church fathers. Much of what we understand about Christ and much of what we understand about Romans and justification today comes because of Augustine. 386 A.D. Now about 1,100 years later, there was a German priest, Catholic priest, who was sick and tired of the sin in his life. Everything that he did just pointed out that he was lost, pointed out that he was a sinner. Nothing was working. Nothing was making his life better. And he was sick and tired of pretending that the works that he was doing as a priest, that the indulgences that he was paying to the church to get him out of his sin and to keep him out of purgatory and that everything that he had relied on from other people, and it's just just plain fear of God that he had, this fear of hell and fear of God, nothing was keeping him on the right path. And that priest named Martin Luther turned to the book of Romans, and he discovered that the righteous shall live by faith, the righteousness of God. It wasn't about his works. It wasn't about his indulgences. It wasn't about anything else that he could do. He saw the righteousness of God in the book of Romans, and that changed his life. It changed his story, and it changed history What Martin Luther looked at Romans. What those men struggled with is the same thing that you and I struggle with, too. Same problems that you and I struggle with. How can I be good enough? How can I make myself right before God? And the reality is, I can't. I can't justify my sin. I cannot justify what I've been doing. I can't justify my life. Nothing that I can do will erase my sin, will cover my shame. The only way that I can find wholeness in my life is to be justified by God. And the only way I can receive that is by faith. Faith, that's like a five-letter word, but it's one of the biggest five-letter words you'll ever hear. Faith, what does it mean? We use it so many different ways. You run into somebody, and you get to talking, you say, well, what faith are you? And, and you're looking for an answer like, well, I'm Lutheran, or you know, I'm a Catholic, or I'm just plain Christian, or I'm a Buddhist, or I'm a Baptist, or I'm Jewish. You know, what, what's your faith? We ask that. Someone's going through some tough times, and what do we say to them? You gotta have faith, you know? You, you gotta have faith in that. You turn on the radio, you listen to Faith Hill. I don't know, you know? There's all different kinds of ways that we use the word faith. We have different ways. What does faith really mean? One of my favorite illustrations, and I really hope you guys will get this today, because I'm, I'm not actually going to do this, but I'm going to show you like kind of an example here. There was, a, there was a missionary who was a Bible translator. He was translating the Bible into this language that these natives had never heard the Bible, never heard the Word of God before. They never had a Bible. This is nice. Anyway. <laughs> So this, this, this guy is translating the Bible. Now, when you translate the Bible, it's not just about getting the words right. You know, what's your word for God? What's your word for Jesus? It's about getting concepts right. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You've got to find a way to make that, make that work in the, in the jungle. You know, you've got to find a way to make that work. So he's translating the Bible, and he comes to the concept of faith. And he asks the natives, you know, as best he can, what is faith? And, the, you know, he can't explain it. And so finally, what this missionary did, and I'm not going to do this today, because we have too many teachers in the room, is why I'm not doing this. He tipped his chair back and sat there balancing on two legs. Feet off the ground, just balancing on two legs, relying on nothing but the two legs of the chair. And he said, What is your word for this? Now, my teachers in the audience are going to say, The word is stupid. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> All four legs on, th- right? All four legs on. Th- But what he was illustrating was, when you're in this position, when you're sitting there on those back legs alone, you are relying on nothing but those back legs, right? You're not holding on to a post over here trying to hold yourself up. You haven't got someone behind you holding you up, like Martin Luther had the church and the indulgences, you know. Augustine was trying to hold on to the stuff that he could do himself. You're not doing that. You're relying just on those back two legs alone. That was their concept of faith. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Because I can find another one if you don't. You understand what I'm saying? Nod with me and, and we'll get out of here soon. All right, good. When you do that, you're, you're not holding on to anything else. Romans chapter 1, verse 17 says, the righteous shall live by faith. It does not say the righteous shall live by doing everything right. You know, the righteous shall live by their righteous deeds, by their righteous acts, by the fact that they don't sin. It doesn't say that. It says the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is that moment when I let go of everything else I've ever relied on and we rest our lives completely in the care of God. And when we know that we have justification by faith, then what we experience... peace. Peace is our confidence and our assurance before God. Now I have to confess to you today that peace is not something I've had a lot of lately. A little over a month ago, I was in the hospital. I did not have a heart attack by the way. I've been hearing that around town. I've heard that I had a heart attack. I heard that I rode in the ambulance. I don't know. Maybe a helicopter took me. I don't know how it got there. I drove myself. The doctor said I shouldn't have done that. You know. I'm used to driving. So I went to the hospital. Not because I eat too many cheeseburgers either. It wasn't the bacon. It was stress is what put me in the hospital. Stress and high blood pressure. And yeah, a little bacon. But let's mostly the strings. And over the past month, since I did that on Labor Day, I have had one day off since then. And that was yesterday. And I spent yesterday, I went out to the movies with Bill and Jim, we saw Gravity, go see Gravity, it was fun. Uh, You know, I, I did dishes yesterday, I did laundry yesterday, I did all these wonderful things around the house. That was my day off. That was me relaxing yesterday. And... And it's not just me. I'm not gonna stand up here and whine because I've had a stressful month. We have had a stressful two years as a church. And over the last month and a half or so, as a community, we have buried, we have mourned and buried some very fine people We have felt deep loss as a community over the last few weeks. Over the past uh, two weeks, Steve was preaching And the whole reason that Steve preached the last two weeks wasn't just because Steve had some stuff to share with us that was great and important for us to hear, but Steve preached the last two weeks to give me time off to work on Romans, to go through all 16 chapters, to outline my sermons, to know where we're going over the course of the next few months. Instead, I spent those last two weeks going to the hospital and burying people, not always the same people. That wasn't how I was supposed to spend those last two months. And again, it's not just me. We've all been through the ringer. We have had loss. We have had tension here. We have had stress in our community. And the more I thought about it over the course of the last two weeks, two weeks ago I thought, okay, I've got a funeral this week, but next week I can do Romans. It's gonna be okay. I just, all that stuff I was gonna do over two weeks, I can do it in one week, it's not gonna be a problem, I can do Romans. And then I had another funeral. Okay, I've probably got half a day. I can do this. You know, I can work on Romans. I don't want to sound weird. Is it, maybe it's too late. I don't want to sound weird. Do you get the idea someone doesn't want us going through Romans? you get the idea maybe something big can happen when you go through the book of Romans and somebody doesn't want us going through Romans? Peace with God. That's what justification by faith gives us. Peace is the opposite of anxiety. Peace is the opposite of constantly running, constantly working, constantly trying to win God's favor and and win his attention. It is the opposite of trying to save yourself. Peace is also the cessation of hostility towards God. And let's be honest, Some of us are hostile towards God. You're sitting there going, who, me? Who is it? Some of us are hostile towards God. We don't like the things that he's allowed in our lives. We don't like the hurts that we've had to carry. We don't like the ways that we have been wounded. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. God's kingdom is defined by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. God's kingdom is defined, at least in part, by the presence of peace. What's Jesus called? Prince of... Right. How do you know when the Prince of Peace is reigning in your life? You have anxiety. No, you have peace. He's not the the Prince of Anxiety. He's the Prince of Peace. That's how you know you have him reigning in your life. God's kingdom is defined by peace. Your life, Christians, your life, church, as we are the living embodiment of the kingdom of God on earth, that is what the church is. Your life is to be about peace if that is something that's missing from your life is that something that's missing from what we're doing here from what we're experiencing together then we're doing something wrong and it should be cause for concern because either we have not understood what it means to be justified by faith or we have not understood what God has called us to there are two wonderful truths about what Romans teaches us. See both those truths underneath the word Romans there. There's two wonderful truth about what, truths about what Romans teaches us. First of all, we have been chosen by God. This was not our idea. This whole justification by faith so that we might have peace, this was not our idea. This was God's idea. It was His plan. This is how He decided to do it. It's not being done by our thinking. It's not being done by our strength. It's not being done by our power. God has chosen this for us. He's chosen us to be identified this way. And the other wonderful truth is, in that word, us. He has chosen us together. It's not that you are doing this on your own. It's not that you are the only guy out there, the only one out there who's feeling this, who's needing this peace. It's not that you're just out there on your own, by yourself, trying to make your way through but that we are here to support each other. We're here to rely on each other. We're here to grow together. We are called to be a church. And I have to be completely honest with you. I didn't I didn't just avoid Romans because it's hard. I mean, Romans is hard. We're going to be stretched. I'm going to do my best to make things as understandable as possible over the few, next few months, but... I didn't just just avoid Romans all those years because it was going to be a lot of work, because it's complicated, because there's tough words and tough concepts in there. I avoided Romans because I knew what Romans does to people and what Romans does to churches. Every major revival, and when I say revival, I don't mean one of those little meetings where we all get together and we sing and we have a good preacher in for a change. You know, those things we call revivals. I mean a revival when God's Holy Spirit comes down and brings people alive in a new way and suddenly there's new life and there's new excitement and there's wonderful things happening. Every major revival from the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, the Restoration Movement, the the, the Reformation, every major revival in the last 2,000 years began with the preaching of the book of Romans. Whether that be Martin Luther and the, the, uh, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Martin Luther starting off with, with the Reformation whether that be Augustine and his own personal revival whether that would be a man named Alexander Campbell who is one of the founders of our church, of this movement that we're a part of and his sermon on the law. Every major move of the Holy Spirit in a person's life or in the life of a church has been preceded by a study of Romans. And I wasn't ready to do that. I wasn't ready for us to go through that because that's messy. And Satan's not gonna be happy if we do that. He's gonna get in the way and he's gonna foul stuff up. Chad, he's gonna keep our PowerPoint from working. You know, because he doesn't want that to work. He doesn't want us to go through this stuff. Does it sound to you like we need Romans? Does It sound like we're ready to go through this? And I want you to understand something else, too. I have a did not want me to preach Romans because she loved the book of Romans. I'm sure she did. But I have a didn't want me to preach Romans just because she loved it and she wanted to hear me preach it. She wanted me to preach Romans because she knew what it was going to do to you. She knew how it was going to impact your life. She knew what Romans could do to you if you let it. Her desire for this church, her desire for you, is wholeness and new life. Not just revival, but peace with God. I want you guys to want that too. I want us all to want that. Together. I want you to want it as badly as she did. I want you to want it as badly as I do. I want you to want it as badly as the devil apparently doesn't want it, if not a little worse. I want us to want that together as we give ourselves to God. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing a song here in a minute. If there's anything you need to commit to today, we're gonna get into some big stuff in the next few weeks. There's gonna be some big commitments that we're gonna get called on. If there's something that you need to just say, I'm here. I am ready for this. If you need us to pray with you, we would love to do that. I'll make these guys come up and pray with you. It'll be great. Let's pray.